Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday december 7th 2007 this week episode 61 comes to you from studio b in coriopolis pennsylvania my name is joe hughes or radio joe here with me in the studio is my co-host the z-man cliff slotnick good afternoon joe good afternoon cliff we've got the cyber jockey cj zach slotnick over here <laughs> good afternoon joe <laughs> And and we've got the the wingman. The wingman is is that we're, we're going with the wingman? Is that correct? I was actually thinking we were going to call him Goose from Top Gun, but okay. uh, it's whatever he wants. All right, Chris, yeah, it's up to you. To All right, well, welcome. And uh, Chris is uh, going to help us here with some of the technical stuff. And uh, I want to remind everyone when we got the website up, www.iaqradio.com. You can get your IAQ console credits by emailing me at Joe. Dot Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, at IAQtraining.com, and we'll get you out a quiz. Today's segments include the microband trivia quiz. We've got Mr. Bill Griffin from Cleaning Consultant Services, and then we'll have the roundup. But before we do that, let's thank our sponsors. We'll start with Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. Last but not least, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at JON. Don.com. Okay, to contact the show live by phone or text message, you go to talkshoe, T A L K S H O E.com. Go to their website, get uh, get yourself a PIN number. Our show ID is 1547. You don't even have to have a PIN number anymore. You can just hit one. They're trying to make it a little easier. Or if you want to just listen to the show, uh, they've got a listen only button. Sometimes it doesn't pull up immediately, but I noticed a new link underneath the listen only buttons now that uh, says if you're having trouble that you click on this uh, link and then it opens up a little box and it seems to work a lot better for those of you that have had problems with the listen only portion. All right. Uh, you can also contact us by email. I already gave mine. Let me give Cliff's. Cliff Zlotnick, Z-L-O-T-N-I-K at unsmoke.com. And, of course, you can post questions at iaqradio.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for 
the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Going to turn it over to my co-host Cliff Slotnick for the microband trivia challenge for today. Sorry to report, there were no correct answers to last week's microband trivia question. You can call in the answer, you can text it in, you can fax it in, you can put it in on our website. The microband trivia question for Friday, December 7th, 2007 is a riddle. Zach, the envelope, please. What does the common name for a building caretaker a month of the year a modern financial fund, and an ancient Roman god with two faces have in common. Back to you, Joe. Uh, a, little, a little easier than last week. I don't know if anybody will ever get last week's, Cliff. That was a tough one. But I don't know why not. We'll find out. All it's right. not like the raven on the writing desk, is it? <laughs> you know the answer to that one, right? I don't. No. Why is the raven like a writing desk? Poe wrote on both. Okay. All right. All right. That's... Another uh, CJ entry to the show. Thank you, CJ. All right, I'm going to let uh, Cliff introduce our first guest after. Do we have some uh, intro music for mm -hmm. Bill? Great. You heard about the singing brakeman. You might have seen his singing cowboy, too. Well, I'm Joe, the singing janitor. I'm at a theater near you. I'll also be appearing at the concert you'll be hearing, but I won't be singing with a band. Joe, the singing janitor, cleaning up for the folks, getting by the best I can. All right, this afternoon's guest is Bill Griffin. Bill Griffin has been scrubbing, stripping, extracting, and waxing his way through the cleaning industry for 30 years. His career began by helping a janitor in his high school. Bill is author of many books, How to Sell and Price Contract Cleaning, the Com Comprehensive Custodial Training Manual, How to Start and Operate a Cleaning Business, and other titles. He has written over 300 published articles on cleaning and business management. Bill works on the contract cleaning and facility service provider side of the industry. Bill learned cleaning by doing the work from the floor up. I know he's traveled the world because I ran into, the, into him in the train station in Amsterdam on his way to a European cleaning show. Bill likes to share the information he gains through his travels and work through classes, seminars, and presentations. Bill is a walking clean cyclopedia of knowledge about cleaning, maintenance, and small business. Bill, we're just delighted to have you this afternoon. How are you? Uh, good morning, Cliff. I'm happy to be here. Good. Good. Great. Can you tell us what the difference is between a custodian and a janitor? Well, it, it, a lot of times that just kind of relates to the industry that's applying it. A lot of times in the school districts, they'll call them custodians. Uh, you know, other uh, separate industries have different names that they refer to people in the cleaning industry. Uh, there isn't a real good standard term that applies. Uh, you know, the hospitals, they like to refer to them as environmental services technicians or the environmental services department. So it just kind of depends. Uh, I really put more emphasis on how the person does the work rather than what they're called. Bill, I'm, I'm curious. I'm not, uh, I don't come from this background. I think it's an important subject. Um, are there some kind of standardized cleaning specifications that you follow or that uh, the people you train follow? 
Well, you know, again, that that's pretty loose. Uh, this industry, uh, the, the side of the cleaning industry, is uh, pretty fragmented. Uh, there aren't any standards other than like what the IICRC produces uh, that are applied, and, and most of the industry on the cleaning and the janitorial side isn't aware of the IICRC. They're, the IICRC is just starting to make kind of inroads into that industry or into that segment of the industry. Uh, there are some new standards coming out these days, like um, the uh, ISSA, which is International Sanitary Supply Association, uh, they've recently come out with a standard called SIMS, Cleaning Industry Management Standard. And then Green Seal has a green cleaning contractor standard. Uh, so there are some standards kind of starting to come out into place, but they're not well recognized or well established at this time. Uh, then on the specification side, you know, actually how do you clean a building? Again, uh, that is all across the board as well. Uh, usually larger facilities, they're more sophisticated and will have pretty good written standards, or at least have written standards. Smaller buildings, uh, it may be the custodial services company, the janitorial contractor, who will provide those standards uh, to the property manager or suggest them, and then they negotiate something from there. But as far as any standard that applies everywhere, uh, there isn't that e that exists at this time. I get, has the building maintenance industry ever thought about or developed a list of the indoor environment or indoor environmental contaminants that its labor forces remove from a building on a, on a daily basis? You know, what might some of those contaminants be? Well, you know, again, there hasn't been a lot of research, you know, uh, some of the stuff that Michael Berry did, uh, you know, 20 years ago, uh, and, and some of the stuff that Shaw has been doing and other groups like that have identified some of the materials that are being taken out of the carpets and off the floors, but there hasn't been a lot of science in the industry, and that's kind of one of the things that's starting to change. Uh, the, the, gents, the cleaning industry basically has, I would almost say, stood still for 60 or 80 or 100 years, but it's just starting now to kind of come to the point where science is coming to play. Uh, there's a group called the Cleaning Industry Research Institute that was formed a couple of years ago and got donations of about $500,000 to do some real scientific research regarding cleaning. And uh, not much has been done yet, but uh, there is some hope that uh, more science will be coming in industry. And I, I kind of look at it that the, the janitorial industry really is on a cusp of change right now because of the science is coming down the pike and because testing methods from other industries are now rolling over and being applied uh, to the janitorial side of the industry as well. So I, I think we're uh, right at the point now where a lot of change is going to take place and it's going to take place quickly uh, in the cleaning of buildings. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, you know, I, I, I travel a lot as you and Joe do, and you know, you go into these public washrooms and oftentimes they've got this you know, device on the wall and it contains paper towels and everybody goes up to it and, you, you know, the paper towel comes out and you kind of rip it. And I was thinking, you know, every time that rips, you know, there's probably little flakes and fragments of, you know, paper that, you know, kind of come off that and, you know, go into the air and settle and get picked up by the HVAC system. And I just wondered whether anyone did any thinking about whether or not paper might be a contaminant, you know, inside of a building. Well, it depends on the kind of situation. It depends where you're cleaning at. The, the scenario or the example you give, I don't think there's been a lot of science or research put into that, but it is a factor because if you don't clean on a daily basis, you will find a lot of particulate from the paper towels on the floor. 
uh, underneath that dispenser. And if you clean those dispensers, you actually need to take a brush and a vacuum uh, you know, every three months at least and clean out the inside of those dispensers that will get gummed up with that paper uh, dust that does come off the paper towels. It is, it is pretty dirty stuff. But other areas, like in clean room environments, uh, or another example would be when we used to do a lot of film production, again, uh, those particles of dust and particles of paper would get on the film and it would cause spots on the film. So certain industries, uh, degrees of soil are different, and that's some of the specifications, like getting into high-tech cleaning. There, they measure what's in the air by the, measuring the, the size of the particle and how many particles are in a cubic foot of airspace and actually calculate that out. I'm curious, Bill, you, you'd mentioned testing twice now, and I'm wondering what other types of testing methods you're seeing more commonly or coming along with, which, with respect to how clean the building is. Well, a lot of what is coming down the pike uh, now and is starting to be used is comes out of other industries and is being applied over onto the cleaning side, and it's just kind of becoming more recognized and is being written into specifications. And some of it comes out of the clean room environment where they have sniffers that sniffed what's in the air, and they have these particle counters, and they have humidity and temperature controls and, and different uh, things like that. Um, some examples that are becoming more common, and one thing that's kind of interesting here, too, is a lot of this stuff uh, doesn't, isn't created or doesn't come from the U.S. And as Cliff mentioned, he ran into me at uh, the Amsterdam airport, one of the largest trade shows in the world uh, for cleaning is in Amsterdam every two years. And I, I attend those shows in Europe as regularly as I can, and the reason is because most of the cleaning technology that we get it comes into Europe two to five years ahead of before we get it here in the U.S. Many things that we end up using here, like the microfibers, the green technology, burnishers, uh, flat mops, uh, those type of things, weren't invented here. They, they were over in Europe uh, three, five, seven years ago, and now they're just becoming more common here. Now, as far as the actual testing, and again, the same thing is true with the testing. If you go to Denmark or Sweden, uh, they have established testing standards. They might have 10 or 15 different things that they would measure about the cleaning in a healthcare facility. But some examples, um, we now have uh, gauges that we can put on the floor to measure what the shine of the floor is. So if we want, not like now someone say, put down two coats of finish. And what they will say in the future is, I want a 93 level shine. Uh, I've got a 63 level now. When you get done doing this job, I want a 93 level shine. And I want a slip resistance co a coefficient of friction of uh, 0.5. And I want a film thickness of 20 thousandths of an inch. Uh, those are some examples. Now, another one that's kind of an interesting one uh, is there's actually a bacteria tester now that you can clean the, a countertop or clean the restroom or the toilet seat. And you take this swab and you uh, run it across the surface, and then you put it in this little gadget, a handheld little gadget, and in less than 60 seconds, it will tell you what the bacteria count is on that surface by measuring the reflection of the light that living materials give off uh, automatically. So there is a lot of stuff coming down the pike for us now. Bill, would you say that the work that building custodians and caretakers do is you know, unappreciated. I think oftentimes people think that, you know, someone sprinkles pixie dust and, you know, all of a sudden all the soil uh, kind of goes away. 
I tell you, I don't get no respect. No respect at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that, unfortunately, is, uh, you know, pretty true, um, you know, uh, because a lot of the work is done behind the scenes. Um, most used to be, at least in the past, always we did all of our cleaning, you know, after 5 o'clock when everybody went home and we're done by 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, although that is changing a little bit now, day cleaning is becoming more common. And a lot of facilities, uh, because of the traffic level and the needs they have throughout the day, they have a porter or two in the building, a couple of cleaners that, that maybe maintain the bathrooms and check the lobbies and are on a cell phone for emergency spills and that kind of stuff. But uh, it, it, it has been kind of an unappreciated job in the past. But I do think this is changing uh, as the importance of sustainability and green come into play and as the importance of indoor air quality and indoor environmental quality tied to health and production uh, via science uh, come into play, I think that the role of the custodian uh, and the pro professional cleaner is going to increase. Uh, one other factor that I would mention too is the health aspect of that. You know, as uh, the bacteria and the viruses are getting stronger and we as uh, human beings are getting less able to resist them. Uh, I think the importance of cleaning is becoming more important uh, where we see people now changing over to no-touch uh, type of dispensers because so people don't want to go in there and touch the uh, towel dispenser after somebody else has touched something else and they're not sure if they washed uh, before they uh, touched that dispenser. So we're seeing a lot of no-touch come into there and I think as uh, the pandemics come along and I'm sure that we're going to have more problems along that area that this will even become more important and as that gets more important then the cleaning people will get more respect and more money as well. You know, the people that do this work, it would seem that there would be a great difficulty in recruiting, obtaining, uh, maintaining a labor force to do that. Uh, the, the work, I, I think, can be physically stressful. It can be lonely, maybe monotonous. I mean, how do you get the people? How do you keep them? How do you motivate them? Well, you, you hit on one of the probably the biggest uh, problem that we have in the cleaning industry. Uh, anybody that hires cleaning professionals, and it doesn't make a difference, I don't think whether it goes from carpet cleaning to hospital technicians to school custodians to the Boeing company who might pay 20 bucks an hour for their janitors, we always have a hard time finding good qualified workers and then keeping good qualified workers. If, if there's any scourge on the industry and anything that will actually take our cleaning processes today to automation or robotics or designed into buildings, uh, it will be the lack of qualified workers. Uh, they aren't going to quit building buildings or cleaning buildings because we can't get somebody to do it. They will just design the cleaning into the building and design the custodian out of the building. So uh, it, it is a major problem uh, finding and keeping people and anybody that has uh, you know thousands of employees doing cleaning work every night, and there are some companies that have 70,000 people doing cleaning work, uh, I, I, I feel for them because it's the hardest job we have. And then also, the, it, it goes upward as well in that we have trouble then finding supervisors and managers and other uh, people who make large dollar amounts of money uh, in the cleaning industry. Some of these positions, uh, executive housekeepers and managers of large facilities, uh, they can earn uh, you know, fifty to 70000 Or I, I come across a job a year ago uh, for a major contract cleaner, and they were paying $100,000 a year. Uh, for this cleaning professional to manage the operation. So there is money to be made, but there's a lack of people uh, who stick around in the industry long enough to gain the experience and then educate themselves enough to be able to manage the people and understand the whole big picture. And I, I think part of the problem here is that uh, the way the industry hires people, you know, we offer people a job cleaning a toilet, and most people aren't too excited about that. 
but I think we have to kind of change and start talking about the opportunities that we offer for people rather than just a job. You know, a friend of mine has a great textile cleaning business uh, in Texas, and he had a wonderful relationship with an executive housekeeper that worked for uh, you know, really high-end hotel chain, and then she was hired away from the hotel chain to the White House. And believe uh-huh. it or not, my friend and his crew used to go up there on a semi-annual basis, and they would clean carpet, and they would clean other textiles. And he did this for several presidents while this you know, woman was executive housekeeper, and he may still be doing it uh, mm-hmm. to this day. Are there any, how do you charge for this? Uh, are there estimating books like in the disaster restoration industry or computer programs that have pricing that tell what to charge per square foot and, you know, per unit and so on and so forth? There are some things like that out there. That, you know, as the industry has gotten more technology driven here in, in the, in the uh, recent years, uh, software programs have been developed. Uh, there are several bidding ones out there, and there are some full biz- business management software programs and quality assurance and inventory and all the different things you might want to know about your business. Uh, and there are several manuals. I, I have one, on How to Sell and Price Contract Cleaning. That's a 900-page book, and there are a few others too. But I, I think it's important to recognize that um, there aren't any really standards that apply everywhere because labor rates vary, production rates vary, the conditions that you work under vary. Uh, really what we try to teach people in the classes that we do on bidding and estimating is how do you calculate what your costs are uh, and so that you can determine what you need to charge uh, to make the profit and the overhead and to pay all your bills uh, in your business. And again, that varies with small business compared to large business. So. And, but I would tell you that it's might be the most common question that we get. Uh, you know, we, I'm involved in a group called ICAM, and we do an Ask the Experts uh, kind of a thing where people send in questions all the time. And we probably get four to one questions on what price should I charge? You know, how much per square foot? Uh, and, and to answer the question about, well, uh, how do you figure it out? Well, normally it's based on the hours it takes to do the work. Uh, and we can figure that either by production rate, how many hours a person takes to clean a certain thousand square feet of work, and then the supplies and the equipment that you need to do the work, and then the profit and the overhead that you have to add into that. And there are some standards there, too, you know, like some people would say, well, you know, 2,500 to 3,000 square feet might be a school district range. Uh, A maid or housekeeper might do 14 to 16 rooms a day in a hotel or a hospital. Uh, In a large skyscraper that's 300,000 square feet to multiple million square feet, we might do that average these days might be five to six thousand square feet per hour to clean so there there are some numbers that we apply but you always if you want to do it professionally you always have to go back and tweak those numbers and kind of twist those numbers and it's an ongoing challenge to, to find ways to be more productive and to keep your costs in control as well as keeping your quality up to date that's probably another great challenge that we face because there's a tremendous amount of competition uh... in the jansen side of the cleaning industry as well Bill, in your uh, bio, it said that you have done consulting at, at Microsoft, Boeing, etc. And I'm wondering, what are the special challenges of cleaning in these high-tech environments? Well, again, every, every situation, uh, every kind of uh, 
project as a consultant, and every group of types of companies has their special needs. Uh, you know, you, you, it can be like a shopping mall where you've got tremendous amounts of people going through there. It can be like an airport where they're open, uh, you know, 24-7, 365, and then you've got security issues. Everybody's got to have badges, and, you know, you can't get in or can't get out. Like when I worked at Boeing, we always had a kind of a joke, you know, don't uh, don't make the guards mad because they, they, you'll never get in to get to work because they got one bullet, you know. So, again, you know, you kind of have to learn to work in those environments. But, uh Every situation has its special needs, and it's kind of interesting also that each group thinks their dirt's different. You know, when we do consulting with hospitals, you know, they want to know specifically how many hospitals have you done before. Well, in most cases, their dirt's not too much different, but they think their dirt is different. And you go into high tech, same kind of thing, you know. Uh, you go into house cleaning, same kind of thing. Everybody thinks their dirt's different, but you are dealing with soil that's in the wrong place or contaminants, and you're dealing with surfaces, and you're dealing with products and equipment to remove them, and then you're dealing with people uh, who are going to do, do that removal process and then some disposal of that. And again, we can get, if you've got specific questions, we can get technical about any one of those different categories uh, from grain of elevators to nuclear power plants to hospitals to schools to houses uh, to office buildings. They all have some unique needs, but they have many things that are in common as well. I guess I'd. I would like to follow up a little on hospitals and what are the unique challenges that you have to deal with with respect to hospitals and cleaning in hospitals? Well, hospitals, first and foremost, is infection control because people don't go there because they're well. Most people that are in a hospital are infectious or are sick in some way. And so, again, uh, they're spreading their bacteria, their germs around, or they bring it to an area where they're compromised in some way to be able to fight any germs or bacteria that they may come in contact with. So you got both sides. you got a bunch of sick people there, and then you got a bunch of people that are sick that can't defend themselves, their body can't, because of uh, operations or because of medication uh, or age or infirmity, you know, whether it be very young or very old. But infection control and isolation are the main issues in a health care facility, as well as in, uh, you know, there's the politics of uh, every kind of clean place that you have to clean, there's somebody in charge, and like in hospitals, it's doctors. You know, they like to walk on water, basically. So if they say jump, you go how high and how far and when. <laughs> so, and then you've got patients, and again, patients, uh, you know, uh, you've got families, you've got emotional things going on, people are sick, people are dying or have died. Uh, you've got uh, the uh, politics of uh, who's in charge and who, who answers and, uh, to who. Uh, and then you've got the high cost issue, uh, and on the other side, you've got the pressure competitive issues to make money and keep the cost down. So you've, you've got a lot of things pulling, uh, and then you've got patients who are sick and who want to be treated. The trend these days in hospitals really is uh, to treat patients and treat the facility more like a hotel. People don't want to be in a sterile room. They want to be in something that's got a nice TV and they've got telephone and their guests can come in and visit, maybe even stay overnight. Uh, you know, because that helps in their healing process, uh, at least the current philosophy is. And it's also changed over the last few years uh, in that um, we don't disinfect. It used to be if it wasn't moving, we would disinfect it. Uh, you know, we'd wipe it down with a disinfectant. These days, unless it's a critical surface, uh, like an operating table or an operating room or a procedure room or something that's going to go in a body, we may not disinfect it. Like floors, we don't clean them as thoroughly as we might an operating room. And a part of that's the green thing. Uh, they don't like the germ killers or the disinfectants being as widely used because there's the issue that maybe they're actually making the bacteria and the germs uh, more resistant uh, to being killed by using them so often that they get used to them. 
So there's there's a bunch of issues that, that play into that. Uh, there's a couple of last things I would mention about the health care field. It's not as clean as you'd think or as you'd like. Hmm. Somewhere around 100,000 people a year die from what we call nozzle communal infections. Now, those are infections that people get after they went to the hospital. They didn't have that disease when they got there, but they got exposed to it and caught it. And somewhere around, I think it's in the numbers of 20 or 30 percent in the U.S., die uh, from those infections, somewhere around 100,000 people. Uh, in other countries, like in Sweden and uh, Finland, Denmark, where they don't even use disinfectants, they only have a nozzle communal rate of 3%. And people are trying to figure out why is that, you know. Uh, and one of the reasons they say is because they screen the people going into these European hospitals to see what they got before they even bring them in the hospital. We just kind of let everybody go in there and mingle together and uh, cross-infect uh, each other. So some people say that's part of the reason. Um, so they have needs. Every, every, spa- every place has special needs. We're, we're going to take a short break in a moment, but, but before we do, you mentioned they screen people coming into the hospital in the European yeah. hospitals. Do they also screen the employees of the cleaning services? You know, I, I don't, not in, in Europe, I don't know whether they do or whether they don't. Uh, in the U.S. here, we, depending on where you work, like if you work in the food service, again, you have to take a food service class uh, because they want you to be aware that, uh, you know, hepatitis and other diseases like that get transferred via the food. But uh, I don't know whether they actually screen the workers who work there or not. Uh, that, that's something I'm not aware of. Okay. Let's uh, take a short break here. First, we want to make sure we always uh, stop and thank our sponsors again, uh, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry at ieconnections.com. And Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dryease-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. I think we have a special tribute since today is uh, December 7th. Cliff, do you want to do the honor? Sure. always gets me cliff yeah me too uh, uh, you know it, for, it also got 416,800 Americans who made the ultimate sacrifice for what they believed in in World War II okay uh, you know coming out of that and back to Bill Bill let's talk a little bit about cleaning products the green cleaning products really work as well as other cleaning products. You know, sometimes people tell me they use the terminology DFC. They don't friggin' clean. Is that true or not? <laughs> Do they use friggin' really? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you so, know, uh, something like that, huh? Yeah. yeah uh, this is so, a family uh, program. <laughs> right, right, okay. Uh, you know, the green products do work. They, they've improved considerably over the years. Um, uh, you know, there was a lot of problems in the past with them, uh, you know, a lot of hype and sell. And I think there's still a lot of hype and a lot of sell. 
uh, on the green thing. I think the trend really these days is people are moving more towards the term sustainability or sustainable products and sustainable cleaning processes and sustainable facilities. Right. And kind of, I think the green is just kind of a hype sell for it. But they work. They're, they're natural based. They can be bio based. They can be. Uh, when they first came out, uh, you know, some of the companies were putting uh, labels on their bottles were printed with soy ink, and so all of a sudden their product was a, a green product now. Right, right, right. The formula hadn't changed any. Uh, I think it's a lot better than that now. Uh, it, I think there's a long way to go, but the price has come to it's almost competitive uh, with the other products. And in some cases, I think they actually work better. There are some soy-based products out there that can be used to remove finishes that normal strippers won't take off, and uh, they're faster. And uh, I think that's one of the things we do hear about some of the green products, though, is they work, but they take more time. You have to agitate a little bit more, or you have to allow them to dwell longer on the surface. But at the same time, you know, uh, I, I think we kind of have to learn to give up a little bit, to get a little bit here, too, if we continue to... Uh, crap in our nest, so to speak, uh, <laughs> on the earth. You know, even a pig knows better than to mess in the whole house, you know, right, right, and have right. a corner, right. you know, uh, and then you're supposed to clean that out once in a while. Uh, if we don't uh, probably change those ways, uh, there may be a reason why they're doing the space shuttle, uh, you know, uh, to find a different place to live. So I think we, if it isn't too late already, we need to all work to try to improve the environment and uh, change the way we do things a little bit before uh, our generations behind us won't have a place or won't be able to survive or they'll be walking around in these white spacesuits on Earth uh, trying to live uh, a life. You know, you've talked about the difference in some of these new in cleaning chemistries. Is there anything new in terms of equipment? That's there is, used? actually. Mm -hmm. There is a lot uh, coming out these days. Uh, you know, and I, again, that's one of the things I always stress in the classes that I do is to that people be involved in the forums, that they go to the trade shows and the seminars, and keep up on what's coming out. Because uh, you know, I don't have a cleaning business. I do nothing but research information and write about it and uh, gather information and do teaching. And it's a full-time job for me just to try to stay up on the new technology that's coming. In fact, you know, as we mentioned, I have to travel the world uh, to find this stuff. But as far as some examples, um, vapor cleaning is one. You know, these dry vapor machines right. that actually kill the germs because of a molecular process that takes place, not just the heat alone, but actually kill the germ as well as melt the soil, uh, you know, for are extremely effective products. Uh, another one, a lot is happening in the floor care arena. Uh, different kinds of floor finishes, uh, semi-permanent coatings, uh, manufacturer-applied coatings that are low maintenance. Now, when somebody says, oh, no maintenance is required, you know, you kind of chuckle to yourself and pinch yourself because there is no such thing as no maintenance. Uh, but there are low-maintenance surfaces these days that don't need uh, finish applied or don't need to be burnished or don't need to be stripped and recoated. You just clean them on a regular basis, and they will last pretty good. Examples, equipment-wise, uh, the, the tenant company recently came out with a, a, an auto scrubber that uh, does, uh, and I don't know if this is ozone or ionization or what they're doing to the water, but they're treating the water electrically in some way that they say makes it active that you don't even need detergents, that it will clean as good as a detergent solution without putting any detergent in the water. 
that's one example. Uh, another uh, company, Nobles, a couple of years ago, came out with a foam auto scrubber. So uh, you're putting down foam on the floor instead of putting down water, so you don't have as much uh, water running out to the sides um, where you might have slip and falls, and uh, they also don't fill the tank up as quickly. So you know you think you don't think about this a lot, but if you're cleaning you know hundreds of thousands of square feet a night in an airport, you might have you know four or five million square feet to clean in some facilities. You're just dumping the tank in the auto scrubber. It will take you half an hour to an hour each time you do it, and you might have to do it every hour or every hour and a half. Well, you might waste three hours out of your shift just dumping and refilling your tank. So if you go to foam and you don't have to dump the tank, you've saved an hour and a half to two hours in that shift that can be production because your tank didn't fill up as quickly. There's also another innovation there uh, on that same machine. They put a cartridge. Normally, you put the water in the machine, then you put the detergent in the water, and then you go do your job. Uh, in this machine and several others now coming on the market, they put a highly concentrated cartridge in the machine that uh, you just put the water in the tank, and then the cartridge automatically dispenses the detergent into the solution as it's used, and that cartridge is enough, highly concentrated enough, that will clean a million square feet before you have to replace that two-quart cartridge. So those are just some examples, and they, and they go on and on. There's just more and more of them that uh, are coming onto the site and will come onto the site, even robotics. Uh, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff coming out these days. Silent breed is people! <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Bill, I was reading an article you wrote, and, it, and this is on uh, technology revolutionizing the cleaning process. And one of the things you mentioned here was self-cleaning buildings and surfaces. And I, I wondered if you could go into that in a little more detail for our listeners. But also, I, it caught my attention when I saw these titanium dioxide coatings being applied to window glass, urinals, etc. Um, I'm curious what your experience has been with those and, and if they are effective. Yeah, you know, that, that is new technology. I, I ran across it maybe uh, six or seven years ago uh, at a trade show. I think it was at a BOMA show, and some guy was talking about the inside of air ducts and putting some kind of a thing in there, and he says it's self-cleaning. So after the show, I go up and have to you know, talk to him, and that led to some research of what's going on in Japan and the University of Texas and other places. But there's something known as the photocatalytic process where they put titanium dioxide on the surface and bake it into the surface, and then the ultraviolet rays of the sun actually create heat without flame, and it oxidizes or burns away and discolors the soil so that it's invisible or falls off the surface, or if it's germs, like in a hospital on a ceramic tile floor or a wall or a surface, that it will actually kill the germs. And so they're using those things uh, on these surfaces now. Uh, and if you think about it, like a windows of an exterior of a building, if you go to like a, a, a window company these days to buy windows for your house, they'll offer to sell you self-cleaning windows. Now, for an, an upgrade of X amount of thousands of dollars, you can get self-cleaning windows. And that's this process. They're using titanium dioxide, that same kind of stuff that's in toothpaste and in paint, uh, to create this photocatalytic process. And uh, uh, last year, I was at the World of Concrete show in uh, Las Vegas. It's like uh, 85,000 people from around the world show up there. And I went to one uh, presentation, and they were talking about self-cleaning concrete. And so afterwards, you know, I got a sample of it and talked to the guy, and they were using it on buildings. And the idea being that the soot and the automobile exhaust and the settlement things settling out of the air uh, would become uh, invisible on the surface or would uh, be oxidized off the surface like a cathedral or the exterior of a building. And again, 
this, this was an Italian product. It was a photocatalytic concrete that cleaned itself and was used to design for the design on the exterior of buildings. Hmm. And again, uh, it, it, to me, that was a, a, a phenomenal process, and I, I think you're going to see more. But it's so new that it's just it, it's still almost like uh, not really utilized or heard much of here yet. Uh, in our country, although they're using it in Japan and others, and it's starting to creep in, these things, unfortunately, take a long time uh, for a variety of reasons to kind of come into play and become uh, uh, commonplace. But we're seeing a lot more of things like that that are rolling over uh, from other industries and from other nations uh, that are being applied to the cleaning industry. And, I, I, and it's kind of a coatings process. One of the things that I see as a trend is using coatings on surfaces or mixing coatings into surfaces that will do more than just uh, what the coating originally would do, like a floor finish that kills germs, or a, a paint that cleans itself, or a floor finish that cleans itself because it's got titanium dioxide in it. So we're seeing a lot more technology like that come down the pike these days, and we'll see a lot more of it also. Now, what's no-touch cleaning? Uh, no-touch cleaning uh, is a concept. There's a, uh, I'll just, there's a company sure. out there named uh, Kyvac, and they've come up with this, and it was about five years ago, they came up with a, it's basically like a carpet cleaning machine uh, with a wand that they spray the cleaner on to clean the bathrooms and to clean the walls and the partitions and the toilets and urinals and the floors in the bathrooms. And so they spray on this disinfectant solution, and then they wet pick them. Uh, we use a wet pickup vacuum to suck it up, and it's, it looks just like almost like a big uh, carpet cleaning machine, but it has a different kind of wand, and then they use the exhaust to blow the air to dry the fixtures as well. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't totally believe that you can clean restrooms without any touch. Myself, I still like the old toilet brush or getting your hand down in there and getting underneath the edges. Uh, I don't believe it's 100% no clean, but it is very effective. And one thing that is probably the most important about this whole process is that using the vacuum cleaner to remove the spent solution that's on the floor. Because just the physics of using a mop, there is no way that you can take a, a mop that's got dirty water on it and mop it over a grouted floor that has uh, imperfections and areas that are lower than other areas and think you're going to take the soil off the floor. It just doesn't happen. So then you get build up and the grout lines get dirtier and you just clean them and they get dirtier again. And then you think about the process, well, I'm using a mop pail with dirty water in it, and I'm using a, a tool that, you know, has been around for 100 years, uh, and it's not doing its job. And so that is some new technology uh, that in the classes we're teaching these days on floor care, we're teaching people that you can't clean with a mop. You can apply the solution with a mop, but if you really want to get it clean, you have to use some kind of a vacuum retrieval system. And that Kyvac system that they're using there now, uh, it, it's popular, and, and there's probably half a dozen other major manufacturers now who've jumped on the bandwagon also and are now making what we call generically these spray and vacuum systems because they are effective. If you really want to get rid of the odors and you really want to try and keep grout lines clean, you cannot do it with a mop. Well, I, it's funny, you read my mind, and my next question is about odors. You know, what are the causes of restroom odors, and what are the best ways to control these? Well, again, there's multiple causes uh, from uh, um, particles floating in the air uh, yeah. <laughs> that we don't want to talk too much about to a lack of airflow. Uh, but most commonly uh, in, in the bathrooms, it's uh, urine and fecal matter getting on the floors and not being removed uh, often enough or properly. And then it sits there and it grows, and the bacteria, as they decompose, the organic matter, they give off gas that is the odor that you smell. 
So uh, usually when I look at cleaning problems in a facility, and I'm talking about any kind of a cleaning problem, there's two things that I look at. One is the frequency of how often they do a procedure, and the other one is the procedure itself. And if you look at bathrooms, nine out of ten times, they're not cleaning it often enough, and they're not cleaning it properly. And in heavy-use heavy bathrooms, it's, it's mopping or cleaning underneath the urinals and underneath the toilets where the urine gets down on the floor and sits there. You, you can't have bathrooms being used all day long and then you clean them at night and think you're going to keep the bathroom clean and odor-free throughout the day. It's just not going to happen. Now, Bill, you mentioned that mops don't work real well. Um, what other technology works better? Well, the, the spray and vac system to me is probably the ultimate, uh, where you spray on a solution or mop on a solution, you agitate it with a brush, and then you vacuum it out with a wet pickup type vacuum. And you can use anything from that cart that we talked about to just a sp garden sprayer and a brush and a, and, a, and a wet pickup vacuum will work. But uh, you know, you you gotta you gotta remove the soil so it it doesn't uh, cause odors uh, on the floor and doesn't sit there and grow and damage the surface. Uh, can you repeat the question? I, yeah, I, I guess I'm sorry. just I'm I'm a little clueless on I'm not a cleaning guy, so I, yeah. I see people with a bucket and a mop, and then you know yeah. you see the the types of mops with the kind of squeegee that are like a square, um, like a sponge on the end of a mop or a mop yeah. handle. Sure. What's you know what's the best type of mop to clean with? I mean, if a typical string mop seems to me like those those would just have a bunch of dirt in them be hard to clean with well part of the problem here is the process again that people generally what happens you know the reality on the job is that people fill up their bucket with as much water as they can get into it with the idea they don't have to go back to the closet for a long time and maybe the whole shift but after they've cleaned you know two bathrooms they're no longer cleaning they're putting on dirty smelling cherry water if if, if, if the best case scenario and if you can't see the bottom of the bucket you know then you're not putting on clean water anymore uh, so they're mopping on dirty water rather than actually putting things on that will actually kill the germs and uh, remove the soil. But the current trend these days when it comes to mopping really is to move towards uh, microfiber mops and what we call flat mops because the microfiber mops, mops have the ability to hold the soil better and to pull more soil off of the floor like having little fingers that reach down into the, the particulate and the cracks and the crevices and scratches in the finish and in the floor and to grab that soil and then hold it till you get it to the bucket and can rinse it out or wash it out in the bucket or in a washing machine. So the microfiber flat mops is one of the technologies that uh, is, is quite popular these days and kind of is on the cutting edge, uh, whether it comes to be applying floor finish or dust mopping or dry mopping or even using a, a microfiber cloth to clean mirrors and stainless steel and other things. Anybody that uses microfibers will tell you that uh, they, they do a good job. Okay, that's that's exactly what I was looking for. We're going to, um, I just want to note for, uh, I think Barb Jackson's on the line, we're going to go to the roundup in about four minutes here, but first we wanted to touch on another big issue here in the uh, cleaning industry that's been in the news quite a bit. Cliff, do you want to yeah, take it's, this it, one? Yeah, it's, it's MRSA, and I'm just wondering what the role is for cleaning services in dealing with uh, MRSA. It's got to be a big issue. Well, you know, some in healthcare facilities in the past, the MRSA thing was primarily in healthcare. It was a nozzle communal infection that stayed kind of in the hospitals, and it was something that people got in addition to what they had when they came to the hospital uh, because it got passed around in the hospital. But it has become stronger and has now moved outside the hospital environment and has got into what we call the general community or the general population. And so you see people coming in contact with it in places where they might have close contact. Uh, 
gymnasiums, health clubs, uh, exercise rooms, uh, schools, daycare centers, places like that. And what it is is a bacterial infection that gets, but gets into a cut or a scratch or an abrasion on the skin and then uh, festers and then can, goes into other parts of the body. And it can actually be deadly and kill you. And it's resistant to the common uh, type of antimicrobials or, anti, or, or bacteria killers that we use uh, to treat people these days. It has become uh, resistant to that. And some people say it's because we've overused our antibiotics over the years, too much penicillin and uh, those type of antibiotics, and that disease has learned how to live even in the presence of that. And that is quite a major issue for uh, the healthcare field and for people. And as for actually cleaning and removing it, one of the biggest things uh, is uh, a couple of things that I would look at. <clears throat> one, being aware that you've got scratches and, and breaks on the skin and covering and protecting those. And then two, if you do have some kind of an infection, making sure that you cover and take care of that and even limiting people that have those type of uh, uh, infections from areas where they may transfer that. Like, I don't think uh, if somebody's got a, a sore on their body, uh, you know, and the, the wound is oozing, uh, they probably shouldn't be uh, in the health club or they shouldn't be in the daycare center or they shouldn't be on the wrestling mat. And then those wrestling mats and areas of, uh, where people would come in contact with it should be disinfected uh, between users. Uh, so, you know, using a certain, like a flat mop with a disinfectant uh, after the uh, wrestling session and uh, monitoring your people and being aware. I, I know, uh, like the SARS thing, a couple of years ago, you know, uh, I get, when I travel, you know, I carry a mask with me because as a speaker who has to make his living uh, presenting, the last thing I want to do is get uh, stuck between uh, two people on an airplane <laughs> that are both coughing and spitting, and here I'm in the middle, and I can't, I, I can't go anywhere. So, uh, you know, as much as it's, uh, it's a negative thing to pull out the mask and put it on, we're kind of conscious about it. I have it along just in case that happens to me because I just can't afford to be uh, uh, sick any more than I already am. That's a great tip. <laughs> I may have to do that myself, Bill. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you get stuck between two big people with colds, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's I never. I mine's usually in the uh, in the suitcase in the in the storage compartment there. I may have to take one out and put it in my backpack. Although I'm worried they may see it when I go through uh, through through the checkpoints. I don't yeah, know. No, sir, you, you must get sick on the airplane. <laughs> um, one more before the roundup. Uh, I we always, you know, like to tie things back to some of the other environmental and indoor air quality issues. Are the maintenance and custodial folks you're working with uh, getting more training on mold awareness and water damage restoration awareness? And are are the training programs trying to um, make sure that they don't cause these types of problems with the cleaning they do? Well, you know, there's a, there's a, in the cleaning industry on all sides of it, uh, there's a real lack of training and what I consider to be upward mobility in the industry. Uh, again, people just getting jobs rather than getting careers or seeing it as an opportunity that they can move upward. And in our society, education is the key to basically everything. You know, if you get a high school diploma, if you don't get a high school diploma, you're probably stuck at 5 to $7 an hour. You get a high school diploma, most people are at 9 to $10 an hour. You get an AA, you might get 12 you know, and it goes on like that until you get a Ph.D. and you can get the 40 or 50 or, or more. So the education is a critical element, and it, it, in my opinion, is a answer to, to most most of our problems in the industry and in society. And I, the IICRC is, does bring a lot of good education, but unfortunately, uh, you know, over the years, 
fortunately, the carpet side of the industry has, I think, the education and the IICRC and the, the local chapters that they have in the regional carpet cleaning associations actually saved that segment of the industry. I remember back 30 years ago when it was in distress and uh, it had a bad name, and that has totally changed. But that change has not taken place on the Jan Sand side or the janitorial side where the custodian and the janitor is. That has not taken place yet, and I'm hoping that uh, some of these classes that the IICRC has and uh, other associations and groups will help bring that about so that people understand all the, the big picture, uh, as what you even mentioned, like uh, doing the cleanup and making a bigger mess than what they removed. Well, in some buildings, this happens every single night uh, because they're using a broom uh, to, to push the dirt around or they're not uh, using the disinfectant properly or they're bringing in chemicals uh, that they got that were made for some other use and they're spraying them around in the building and contaminating things. So I, I, I'm uh, a real proponent of education and upward mobility in the, in the industry and I think that if there's anything that will save us uh, from being phased out like uh, buggy whips and saddles, it will be education. All right. Well, with that, let's go to the roundup here. Okay. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up, move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, let them out, cut them out, ride them in, raw Thank you, Zach. Uh, do we have Barb Jackson on the line here? Hi, Joe. Hello, Hi, Barb. Hey, Welcome. Barb, how are you? Back to IAQ Radio, and we got you at the right time. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's good to have you back. I was just curious. Um, we wanted to go ladies first and see if you had anything you wanted to add or uh, comments or questions for Bill. Oh, um, okay, Bill, you mentioned microfiber. Um, cleaning cloths. Right. Um, could you tell us more about those and um, maybe when it's applicable to use them and where we can purchase them in the different types? Well, they're, they're widely available these days. If you go to the international trade shows, you know, they have the booths that are as big as uh, the Johnson Wax booth might be here in the U.S., but they really haven't caught on as much. It's been a kind of a slow process bringing them into this country and getting people to recognize them. Mm-hmm. Part of it, I think, is the cost as well. They are more expensive, but bottom line is that they have the ability to hold and uh, grab the soil particles and keep them uh, in the rag rather than have them get distributed back onto the surface during that cleaning process. Then when they're laundered, they can be laundered over and over and over again. Uh, At this point, they're still a little bit expensive, uh, but we are definitely seeing them being used. And you can, any janitorial supplier has them for sale. Many of the larger companies like Unger, and uh, 3M and uh, Johnson Wax, companies like that, they're all selling microfiber mops and systems that you can use. I buy them myself at home at uh, Costco because I can get a bag of like uh, 40 of them for like 15 bucks, uh, which is pretty cheap. And then um, can they be used, you know, repeatedly on the job site or once you use them and um, they're soiled, should we um, keep, you know, putting them 
uh, getting a new one like we do with mold restoration. Yeah, they need to be uh, laundered after that to get the soil back out. They're 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 kind of like a, a walk-off mat going into a building. They're made and designed to gather and hold soil, and okay. it takes some extra effort uh, to get that soil back out uh, of that uh, rag. And, and one thing I would just mention too, they're not suitable for what I would call gross soil. If you can see heavy amounts of soil on the surface, that's not the appropriate tool. You need to use a, a putty knife, a broom, or a dirty rag to take it off first. Then you go back with the microfiber to do the fine, final cleaning of it, uh, like even with a carpet spotting. If you're going to take the carpet spot out, uh, you might use a normal cloth to do it. Then I would do a final run-through with my microfiber, which would grab and hold more soil than the other rag had the ability to remove and hold. Okay. Yeah, I... Um I had my first experience with them um, last month in San Diego. I was doing some walkthroughs with some of the buyers, and there was just a really fine foot on the contents inside the home. And the microfiber actually um, was able to pick it up really quickly because it was such a fine dust, mm -hmm. and we were able to establish that there really was um, foot on the contents. But I haven't used them yet for so I'm going to give them a, a try now. Yeah, they're very effective, like on mirrors and countertops, stainless steel. They just mm -hmm. do an excellent job. It takes a little bit to get used to because they, they feel so much different in your hand, but they almost grab your hand because they have these little, I don't know, edges that grab onto everything, and you can feel them running them over your hand. You think your hand is smooth, but you run it over your hand, and all of a sudden it's a rough surface. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing mm -hmm. sure. that information with me. So what you're, what you're saying, Barb, I just want to make sure I understood that um, you weren't sure if the contents had this uh, soot on it, for lack of a better word, I guess, and you were able to show that it did by cleaning it with the microfiber and then seeing that there was something on the, on the cloth? Yes. Um, a, a manufacturer provided me with just um, six-by-six-inch square microfibers for cleaning eyeglasses and they're pure white and so I thought I'm just going to try them on this job site because the um, soot was just so fine and normally we're using tissues or soot sponges you know to wipe the surfaces but the soot sponge you know is a lot darker than the white microfiber cloth was and so the contrast on the microfiber was really, you know, obvious. And hmm. so I'd like to use them more and more, you know, for testing for um, foot damage. Sounds like an idea some consultants could use on uh, post-remediation verification. Yeah, and I think also, you know, other uses like, you know, if somebody's doing upholstery cleaning, you know, the toweling concept, you clean it one way, then you take a towel to do some of the drying. If you took final clean and took the microfiber to it, you'd probably remove even more soil than you had with just the towel process. Okay, Cliff? Yeah, I probably have more of a suggestion, I guess, than a question. Uh, every September we get a lot of calls about mold odors and problems in schools, and it seems that these are attributed to maintenance personnel in schools who clean their carpets in mid-August and then leave and turn off the lights and turn off the HVAC system and come back a couple of weeks later. And uh, so perhaps in your position, Bill, you can get the word out that maybe they need to change the practice or at least leave the HVAC system. Well, you know, schools is a unique, uh, unique type of environment. They're the only cleaning uh, situation 
where they do it once or twice a year, that they don't actually maintain it in most cases. Now, we're, we're trying to educate them to look at it differently, but schools are one where summer comes and Christmas break comes. Uh, that's the time they clean. The rest of the time, they just kind of let it go downhill, and they don't usually bring it back up again. So it gets very impacted and very soiled because in most places, they aren't doing any interim maintenance at all. And uh, again, usually overstaffed and usually uh, under-supervised and not well-organized and not well-trained. So at all levels of the education system, there are some serious problems. Yeah, well, that's the building. <laughs> all right, Zach's all, CJ's got to get over a little, there, huh? Yeah, Zach's got to get a little something. Zach earned his money today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he right. missed the acronym police, though. We, uh, we went through MRSA without getting pulled over. Uh, Methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. I, I, mm-hmm. Joe, I actually think that once it becomes a buzzword, it's no longer uh, applicable oh, to the okay, okay, all right. Joe, well. w- seriously, when I go to the gym and I see the sign that says MRSA on it, I think at that point it... Uh, it's over. Yeah, I think, I think it's no longer an acronym, and now it's uh, out of their jurisdiction. All right. Well, listen, before we go, Bill, we always like to ask if um, there's anything that we missed that you would like to add. Well, just, uh, you know, I guess a couple of things. One, you know, uh, I think it's it, it, people always ask, you know, well, how do I get more business? How do I keep the business I got? And I would just stress, you know, the, the importance and value of selling quality services. Don't try to be the lowest price guy. Concentrate on quality. Uh, you know, after the good taste of a poor service is gone, uh, quality is what's going to bring them back again and again. And continue to educate yourselves and your employees and prepare uh, for the future. I think those are key things. And, and the other thing on a business side is just persistence. You know, so many people give up and back off and quit because things aren't going well or they got a problem with it or something happened. You know, you just have to put your head down and work harder and uh, keep persistent and keep persistent. You can't be successful if you aren't willing to give up what it takes to get success. And uh, that, that's probably one of the suggestions that I would have for people. Keep at it. Don't give up. Don't listen to all the no's. Work hard and do quality service. And over time, you will do just fine at any pursuit. Excellent, excellent advice. And before we go, how would our listeners be able to get in touch with you if they wanted to uh, have a little cleaning consulting or take a course? Well, you know, uh, we have a website, uh, cleaningconsultants.com, and there's ways to contact us there through phone numbers and anything that they want. Cleaningconsultants.com is probably the easiest way, and I'd be happy to talk to any of your listeners uh, about cleaning or help any way I can or refer them or hope maybe sometimes see them in a class. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Bill. I want to uh, make sure I thank Bill Griffin from the Cleaning Consultants, and you can go to cleaningconsultants.com. Barb Jackson, thanks for joining us on the Roundup. We really appreciate you stopping by. I also uh, want to thank my co-host here, Cliff Slotnick. It's always a pleasure. And uh, once again, our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dryeasedri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. And last but not least, I want to thank CJ our, and our wingman Chris here for joining us this week. And of course, our Growing group of uh, loyal listeners. We'll be back again next week at Friday for the next edition of IAQ Radio.
This has been another IAQ Radio production.